0: This is a Triple J podcast.
1: If you've been listening to Triple J for years, you definitely know who Linda Mariano is. She's a presenter, a podcaster, a DJ, and yeah, she was on so many shows on Triple J. You probably mostly recognize her from Good Nights and then on Mornings. And you've probably seen her podcast as well. It's called Tough Love. Well, now Linda's just released a book called Love Language. It's kind of like a memoir. It really focuses on her struggle with perfectionism and being a bit of a people pleaser throughout her whole life, which is something I think so many of us can relate to. You know, when you just like push down your own needs and your feelings to make everyone around you happy, like for example, it could just be you really don't want to do that work thing or go to that event or answer that person's call. But you just do it anyway. It's like that feeling of not wanting to disappoint anyone, or like not wanting anyone around you to not like you. Well, this is something that like Linda spoke about so much in her book, especially when it came to her childhood and her family, um, her work life, her friendships, but in particularly as well her love life. And this is something that you're going to hear about mostly in this chat with Linda. You're going to hear about her three main relationships in her life as an adult and the ways in which she people please throughout them. And yeah, I'm super excited for you to hear it because I found the book so, so relatable, especially when it comes to people pleasing in dating and relationships and just finding it so hard to say what you need or how someone makes you feel. So, yeah, I loved reading the book and when I got the opportunity to chat with her, I was so, so excited, which I think you're probably going to hear in this interview. But I got so much out of our chat. I learned a lot and I reckon you will too. So, enjoy. Linda, thank you so much for jumping on the hookup. Thank you. I love jumping on hookups. <laughs> okay. Love that. We love to hear that. Um, All right. Specifically in your book, uh, Love Language, a a really common focus for you, whether it's with family, work, friends and relationships, is how you people please, Mm. specifically maybe in your 20s and growing up. But it is the hookup, so I do want to focus on dating and relationships and love. In what ways were you a people pleaser in your love life?
0: I think there's kind of good and bad sides to it. So there's good sides where when you're with someone that you love, you want to make them happy and you want to bring them a cup of coffee in bed and you want to ask them how their day was and you want to make sure that they're kind of pleased and and satisfied, like from the little minute things to like where you live and what you do on the weekends. And then for me, when it kind of swung too far and it's what I kind of go into in the book is when I found myself kind of dissolving my real needs or changing what my values were going to be because I was anticipating what the happiness was going to be of the other person involved and would find that I wouldn't express authentically how I was feeling or what I was needing in certain situations and I mean, that's just not a great mode to be in. In a relationship, that's not true. That's not you being a true version of yourself. Definitely. And I think we saw that in your first long-term
1: relationship. I think it was chapter six. Obviously, you'll have to read the book if you haven't read it, but spoilers. Um, You start the chapter, (laughs) which I loved. I was like, this is so dramatic and amazing and made me want to like keep reading. I was like, what's happening? You wrote, on my 30th birthday, I got engaged. Six months later, I was single for the first time in almost 10 years. I was like, okay. It's juicy. What has happened here? (laughs) Also, with your relationship with Ben, was the name of your partner, I feel like this is such a thing that I've seen in my friendship groups as well where people have been in long-term relationships and then all of a sudden it's come to their late 20s or it's come to an engagement and they've just Mm -hmm. gone, I have to make a decision here. Like my life can either go one way and look like this or – I can do the hard thing and maybe listen to something that's deep within my gut about this
0: relationship.
1: What was your relationship like with Ben and how did you get to that point in that fork in the road?
0: I reckon that it's harder, as you were saying just then, like making that hard decision to maybe leave a relationship. It's so much harder when there's nothing inherently wrong, when things could be all right, uh, when there's no red flags massively there's maybe just a little gut feeling in you where you want something different or you're feeling like you're straying away from the relationship but sitting in that space where you're in something you're chugging along and it feels pleasant so that's what our our relationship felt pleasant it felt like it ticked all of the loyalty and the love boxes and it felt like well if it ain't broke, why do I need to fix this part of me? And for me, we'd been together. It was that classic thing, you know, you get together in your early 20s. You do lots of growing in that decade to become, you know, 30-year-olds, like adults. And in that time, you completely entangle into each other's lives where you're not only living together, but your families know each other. All your friendship groups have kind of dissolved into this one big thing. And the thought of having to moonwalk out of that is petrifying. And it's a really, I think, common story where it's the path of least resistance to stay in a relationship that's like that because you go, and I think specifically as women as well, we go, oh, well, you know, this is a good man. He's a loyal man. How long is it going to take me to find another person that's like this, that treats me quite well, that really loves me? I do want to have kids. You know, This society tells me that the clock is ticking and, you know, all of these things. And I found myself in this position where you're kind of ping-ponging between like guilt and gratitude, guilt and gratitude. I'm guilty if I leave. I should be grateful that I can stay what right do I have to upend this whole thing? And that particular chapter was kind of such an exploration of who am I pleasing here? Am I pleasing my family? Am I pleasing this perfect version of Linda that's with a good person that should get married, that should, all these should things, I should get married, I should get pregnant, I should stay in a stable job and stay in this safe place? And it's me eventually coming to terms with this idea that I am unhappy and I need to somehow start to stand up for myself. And as painful as it is, as painful it is to let other people down along the way, but get myself out of that relationship.
1: I think that From reading the book, uh, obviously, there was a lot involved with moments of people pleasing with your family and work and stuff where you had little breakthroughs. But I feel like that was a huge breakthrough for you when it came to your struggle with people pleasing, because that was just, as you just said, like such a hard decision to make that when you actually did do it, it would have been for you. Like, Mm. okay, the world didn't end. I actually am allowed to say what's deep within me. How did you feel after that moment? Did you feel a sense of relief or how did you feel internally about yourself as well for making that decision?
0: I remember feeling directly afterwards a sense of freedom and liberation but extreme guilt. So it was both but the, the feeling of – oh, my God, the relief, I've done something for me. I feel I remember walking around and just feeling so light, like light because I built up this, you know, and I talk about it in the book, just like several months of beating myself up because I would be a bad person to hurt the person in my relationship and to to hurt our parents, as a result, our friends would be shocked. What would they think? You know, I've, I've, I'm engaged now, all of those things. But the feeling of lightness just outweighed the guilt. And it was that feeling that helped me kind of get through the months afterwards. And it was also the feeling of the world didn't collapse when I confessed to my dad when I told my mum, they were kind of heartbroken, sort of like disappointed that this thing, that this union that was so nice didn't work out. But they had my back at the end of the day and all of my friends did as well because I, I like I was hiding it from my parents. I was hiding it from my friends. But when I finally kind of told them how I was feeling and what had happened, you know, they they want to hug you. They want to ask you if you're okay. They're not sitting there going, oh, you're a bad person because you didn't
1: stay in something that didn't feel right. I think as well when you've grown up in a childhood maybe where love is conditional, Mm. it kind of scares you to be able to, with the people closest to to you that love you, to be able to to do those things and have those moments where you are being true to yourself because you're like, oh, will I still be loved or is it like conditional? And then when you have that received and it's unconditional and it's like, oh, no, we... Of you, course we love you. You still got
0: my back. Yeah. Of
1: course. And it's like a healthy way of learning about love, I think, later in life. I do want to move on because we'll go through a few of your relationships that you speak speak about in love language and your kind of second one, which I think is quite relatable for a lot of people who date someone who is very hot and cold. Mm. Uh, this guy called Dom. He made you feel like he was very erratic, right? He'd love you one second and then be a little bit cold the next. How were you people-pleasing in that relationship? Because it was almost like you were
0: people-pleasing with him in a different way you were with Mm, Ben. mm, mm. It had kind of ping-ponged from the the pleasing and ticking of the boxes with everybody in the outside. Well, my God, on paper, this is so great to, okay, the next thing that I go into, it's just going to be about us. It's just going to be about making each other happy. And, you know, I was with someone that did feel hot and cold and I found it like this wonderful challenge of having to win someone over each day and I know that part of it is also from being a presenter for so many years and being like it's my job to win over the listener it's my job to win over the person that I'm interviewing and to create a rapport in the ma- in a matter of seconds and now I've got a boyfriend that challenges me in that way where you know, one moment he could be a little bit moody, and I can kind of cater and jigsaw around that because I'm such a good kind of people pleaser. I can. Re- it's about. It's what an exercise in reading the room. I can really read the room and see what he needs that day. And you know, one day he needs me to be playful. The next day he's going to vent to me, and and just like the slippery slope that you go into where. My behaviour was then so hinged on however he would, I could see it in his eyes, like he would look at me one day and I'd be like, oh, you're in a shitty mood. I Now I know, you know, I'm going to have to kind of eggshell walk. Um, but then it just hit kind of the, a breaking point where I started to realise how, how my values were being morphed to meet where he was constantly. And it was weird because when I came out of that relationship, eventually my best friends had picked up on it where they were like, you realize you're kind of a different person when you're with that person. And that was really hard to hear because you think that you're really good at putting up a front. You think, oh, no one no one knows that i'm having a bad time i'm i am who i always am this fun easygoing person but you know my some of my best friends like mishka who i talk about in the book was like no 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 you're you're not yourself you're not, you haven't been honest
1: and you didn't introduce a lot of your friends and family to him
0: yeah i th- i think deep down i kind of knew that there was something not quite right and i think i was also protect i was protective of our relationship, because I just thought I'm I'm not doing this to please anybody else. It's not about what my family thinks this time. I'm not going to be swayed in that way. But I also think that if, say, my brother would have seen that dynamic, then he would have pulled me up and gone, "Why? Are you Put acting? the mirror up.
1: Yeah. Put the mirror up." Which you yeah. would probably as, deep down your gut as you. siblings are
0: so mm. good at doing.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we won't go into it because you can read the book and there's a moment where something happens that you find out, you know, he's been unfaithful. And even in that moment, which I think is something if you are struggle if you struggle with perfectionism or you struggle with wanting to come across as like, this best version of yourself at all times. Mm. Like in that moment, you were trying so hard to be in complete control where you wanted to be angry and rage, which I think so many women do, mm. but we're kind of forced to be like, tell me a little, what happened here? Like, tell me a little <laughs> bit about, <laughs> would we have done that? Like, what, yeah, what's yeah, going yeah. on here? Um, yeah, so what was happening in that in that moment for you where you were like having to really stifle Your true authentic
0: self. That is such a perfect, that scene that you're talking about is such a perfect example of why perfectionism sucks, why you cannot uphold whatever flawless version of yourself you think that you're getting away with in the world because the cracks will just push you open. So that was this kind of awful scenario that we'd gone through in this night. And in that moment where I really just wanted to confront him and say, what are you doing? How could you do this? What is happening? I just remember, it's like putting a filter on. I've like put on my like glossy TikTok filter and went, so tell me about what happened um, there. And And did you think that that you may have may have hurt me in that moment? And I just remember my voice taking on this kind of strange, I'm still going to be composed. I still want to look nice. We were out in public as well. So I was so conscious of these really like cool people that were spilling out of a nightclub that we'd just been inside of. And I just remember not wanting to lash out or be really angry because two things. Because one, I thought that I would look and come across as this psycho girlfriend and really turn him off because in that moment, I'm I'm still wanting to please him. Like I don't really know if I want to rekindle something with him, but I'm still wanting to please him. I still want to come across as like I'm the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I just remember also wanting to, yeah, just wanting to keep him on side for whatever reason. So I just like swallowed every bit of authentic anger, devastation, like not one tear was shed in what I reckon was the worst moment of my life because I was sitting there trying to be really composed. It's honestly
1: so relatable. Like, and there are moments throughout the book where you even uh, speak about the text line and and anyone who knows like Triple J, totally. like you're, as a presenter you see the text coming through and there was one texter that just like keeps giving you the worst time telling you how much he hates you as a presenter and you were like, Instead of just being like, that person's crazy or they clearly like, I always think of them in the like garage with their beers and they're like, you know, just coming to troll. But it's like, even that person, you were like, I need to win win them over.
0: Yes. Yes. It's, it's this deep down sort of people, please perfectionism, wanting to be seen as good, wanting everyone to like you, which has been a massive lesson in writing this book in unlearning it it was so vulnerable
1: and even reading it i was
0: like as someone
1: who you clearly talk about struggles with this like i was like this is a a big big move to put this <laughs> out in the world do you know what I mean because it's so, so vulnerable it's like swung down your the image, other way yeah like which is like ripping the bat. it's like exposure therapy which I was like this has got to be so great from a psych perspective um okay just quickly I do want to move on to your final relationship the one you're in now um you started a long distance relationship with a guy called Magnus who your friend introduced you to uh I think at the time he was in New York and you were in Australia so yeah. you did a lot of long distance and facetiming But I feel like you slowly, slowly started to show a more authentic version of Mm -hmm. yourself and learned time by time to express your needs and have him kind of accept that. Was there a breakthrough moment for you in that relationship of letting your guard down a bit and like you've been saying, drop that perfectionism and that version of yourself?
0: Yeah, I think there was because when we started our relationship, because we were long distance, It was like the ultimate, oh my God, I can put the best version of myself out there because here's the screen. Here's a filter. (laughs) Here's a filter. I'm amazing. Look at this great thing that I'm doing. Look at the cute food that I'm eating. And then when we would see each other every couple of months, we'd spend you know a handful of days together and they'd be the best days because every day is like, let's go on an amazing date. Let's go on an amazing date. Okay. Now I'm saying goodbye to you. And the next time you speak to me, I'm going to be really happy and I can put my bubbly effervescent self forward and then slowly I think because of the character that he is he started to chip away at that just a little bit because he when you start to really know someone you can tell by their voice when they're genuine and when they're faking it and he could tell so he would start to say in his like blunt little way where he'd be like not nah, What's really going on? What's, you know, what's really irking you? Is there something that's making you anxious today? So it's like slowly started to let him in. And then in that sort of kind of bigger people-pleasing moment, because I've been so used to still doing that in my relationships, wanting to make sure the other person was always okay and not kind of communicating my needs as much, as simple and easy as that sounds, actually really hard to do, I remember specifically being in LA one time and we were out for dinner and there was this kind of seed in me that was not feeling so good. That sort of that same feeling that I was still meeting someone where they were more of the time that they were meeting me. And it wasn't really through his behavior necessarily, but it was that I would do that. And we do that at such a small and big scale. What do you want to have for dinner? Whatever you want. Yeah. What do you want to do today? Oh, don't mind. Whatever you feel like. So it was like that on like big and small scales. And then yeah, there was this one night at dinner where he was like, "You've got a helmet on your head." Like this he's like, "There's something going on. You're like in your bubble." Like what's what's happening? Like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Why why can you just be honest with me if there's you know something else that's wrong? And I just kind of blurted out this thing where I was saying, you know, it feels like I'm still doing this thing where I'm leaning to meet where you are. And the amazing thing was that I was with someone that really listened to that and felt really quite mortified that I'd been feeling that way. And then we figured out really practical, tangible ways for that to not be the case anymore, which was a combination of him prodding me and being like, what do you need? Like, actually say what you need. Don't lie. Don't think about the consequence to me or someone else. Like, what do you need today? And him, you know, making practical steps to make sure that, he was doing kind of as much to work on the relationship as I was doing. Because in long distance, there's so much logistical shit that we don't talk about. It's like one person needs to book tickets. One person needs to figure out when they can have leave off work. It's not easy to go, let's just hang out on Saturday night. You have to have one person being like proactive and going, when can you get leave? I'm going to book these tickets. I'm going to land on this day, you know, and I didn't want to be that person anymore because I was, you know, I was like, I've done that in every relationship. We both need to do the work. How
1: did it feel to have someone, because obviously this is such a scary thing to say to someone, Mm. like someone might be listening and be like, why wouldn't you just say that? But it's like, when you are a people pleaser, it's the scariest fucking thing you can do. Yeah, it's like, sounds so bad. No, but it's like, it is so scary. And then having someone receive that and go, yeah, of course. And then meet you. How did that feel to have someone accept what you were asking,
0: expressing what you needed? I remember feeling really sad when I first said it because I could see how hurt he looked to where he was like, oh, why didn't you just say, he was like, why didn't you just tell me earlier? Like, I'll look at my calendar more often so I can help, (laughs) you know, but then it just felt so good. And like you said, it sounds so silly that it was so hard for me to even say that. Like, it feels like we're not putting in equal amounts of effort in our relationship, but you're so, when you're in love with someone, you're so scared that you're going to lose mm. them that you don't want to put a foot wrong. And for me, it was like, oh, we've got such limited time together. I don't want to make the five days that we have together out of three months unpleasant in any way. But the realisation that we needed to both be truthful all of the time was so much grander. I was like, oh, my God, I finally, the penny has dropped where I... Know what I need to do to genuinely be happy, and he feels so much better because he knows that I'm genuinely happy and that I'm not just putting on my presenter smile and going, "I love this for us
1: everything everything is fine everything all the time everything is good, yeah, um, Linda, I think when you are going through these moments as well, there's probably a lot of like self reflecting happening mm-hmm. where you're going, okay, this is a part of who I am, when you start to realize like, I am this perfectionist, I am this people pleaser, I need to take some steps to change things so then I can be my you know, best version, more authentic self. What were some small boundaries that you started to put in
0: place to be able to get to that version of you? It wasn't just the relationship stuff because it was spilling into all the areas of my life. So, you know, in in a relationship sense, it was the things I was saying like where we both had to put in like equally an amount of like logistical planning to make our relationship work, to talk about planning for not just that day of what we want to have for dinner, but further on, do we want to have kids? How do we feel about this? When are we going to visit your parents or that thing? But then it was also little boundaries at work because for me it was the people pleasing and perfectionism that would spill into my work life balance which meant that there wasn't much of a balance you know where i was saying yes to every extra podcast uh tv thing interview show anything that would be proposed to me i'd say yes to to the detriment of myself on a on a daily basis where You know, you have a day where you, it sounds so simple, like you skip lunch, you don't go to the toilet when you need to do a wee, like all of those little things, those little changes where you end up feeling just run off your feet. At the end of a day, I was doing that way too often to where that was becoming the norm. And it just makes you function in this kind of highly strung sort of way where I was like, why am I crying at this? Why do I need to feel like I need everyone to just F off and leave me alone so I can just sit quietly in a toilet cubicle for 10 minutes? So it was little boundaries around that. It was making sure that I was carving time out every single day to eat, take a break, walk outside like it didn't matter and and I just kept saying to myself and this was something that my boyfriend had kind of tattooed into my brain which was like everything can wait. It doesn't matter how demanding someone is being of you and almost everything can wait. Sometimes it can't if you're on air but pretty much everything can wait if you just need an extra 5 minutes to like close the existing browser windows that are in your brain so that you can actually be present at the next thing, just do it. And sometimes it would be just parking my car and sitting in it for an extra two minutes and instead of scrolling on your phone, you're just sitting there in silence. You're not replying to texts. It's just carving out that little bit of extra time, texting a manager and saying, I'll be five minutes late to the meeting, I've just got to use the bathroom and just knowing that all I needed to do was sit at my desk for an extra five minutes. It's like no one's going to look out for you except for you. A hundred
1: percent, a hundred percent. It was so beautiful to watch your journey throughout the book because you start in your childhood and obviously progress through and go through so many moments which, you know, people need to, to read to, to hear more um, about not just your relationships but everything. But, yeah, at the end it really ends on this really beautiful moment with your family and with Magnus. Like you obviously – like a whole thing happened where you couldn't go to L.A. and live with him because of the pandemic, which was like – even more strain and the long distance and stuff Mm -hmm. but you clearly are, are together now and live there where are you at now and and how you feel about your journey that you've gone through when it comes to those things like people pleasing and perfectionism and that kind of thing
0: I think there's been so much learning through really interrogating it by writing this book and thinking about the kind of scenes of my life where just history repeats itself through relationships and through work and moments with my family. And I think now I'm at a point, I'm so like I feel so pleased to be at a point where I think I'm figuring out where that line is of knowing when to push back and when something, like being able to like read my own room, If that makes sense, like read my own gut, because that was so hard for so many years because my gut was making decisions based on what someone else would think. So being able to actually understand what it feels like when I'm uncomfortable with something, when I want to say no to something and kind of push back in that way and prioritize myself. But at the same time, not being some selfish, non-pleasing person, because I still want to please my friends and my partner and my family. I still want to, you know, in the book, like I talk so much about how much our family is based on serving each other and doing things for each other and going above and beyond. And I still want to do that to a sense to the people that I love. And I still feel proud of that without dissolving myself in the meantime.
1: I love that so much because I feel like It is a conversation that we've been having a lot just in culture generally the past couple of years where people are going, boundaries, like it's such Mm. a huge buzzword and importantly so, but people are swinging too far the other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it's, yeah, it's really beautiful to hear that there are some parts where it's family and friends and and certain parts of relationships where it's like, I can really give a lot of myself to this person or this moment.
0: You you can still be generous generous even though you know how to say no now exactly
1: uh linda i loved the book so much thank you i got so much out of it i honestly did um i think that everyone who reads it will find it so relatable especially women I, we've been conditioned from such a young age so much. to just be pretty be quiet don't say what you need so yeah thank you so much for for sharing and going into a lot of really vulnerable details about your life thank it's you it's a pleasure I did that interview with Linda a couple of days ago and I have been thinking about it nonstop since. I just, a lot of what she had to say because it resonated so deeply with me and I really hope that, yeah, it did with you too or you got something out of this conversation because I just feel like it's even changed the way that I'm thinking about how I operate in this world, not even just in relationships and dating, but just in work and with my family. So again, a huge thank you to Linda Mariano for taking the time and being so vulnerable for the podcast episode. And so yeah, if you're a huge fan, the book again is called Love Language. And yeah, you can find it online or in certain bookstores. Uh, And you can find her on Instagram as well. Her handle is just at Linda Mariano. And I will catch you next time. Okay, bye.